Welcome to Hustle Behind Glory, a podcast that brings to you the inspiring stories of hard works, disciplines, and sacrifices behind African success stories in the booming entertainment, fashion, art, sport, technology, and many other industries. From the vibrant nightlife of Kampala, tech incubators of Nairobi, spotless streets of Kigali to the recording studios of Kinshasa, and the sandy beaches of Dar es Salaam. This podcast reveals the hustles hidden behind the envied and glorious lifestyle seen on TV. Here's your host, Ralph de Morega. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Hustle Behind the Glory. As I promised you, today we're going to have one of our first stand-up comedian on the show. And the very wow factor about this comedian is that first of all is very young is from south sudan the youngest country in the world the way you always talk about it and this comedian started his comedy in 2016 in south sudan he has since performed in uganda kenya rwanda and many other east african country zambia even gave a show in South Africa, Botswana, and many other countries. He has got to share the stage with some of the most popular comedians in the region, including Ancansime, Salvador, Basketmouth, Churchill, Robin Collins, and many others. He was also meant to perform at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival in August 2020. That was before the COVID-19 pandemic happened. A.K. Dance, his real name is uh, Daniel Jumbo Pundak Akau. A.K. is that your real name? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> man, you have uh, enough of them, man. I, I'm also in the same side. I have four names as well. Yeah. So, A.K., welcome yes, yes, to the yes. show, man. Thank you, man. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to be here on a, on a Sunday morning. Man, it had to be Sunday morning, man. So yeah, I feel like I feel like even God is gonna be jealous. I haven't woken up this early to go chatting. <laughs> yeah, you really need to be jealous, man. So you were the comed- the comedian of the year that was in uh, South yeah. Theatre Academy Award 2018. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you've just been moving around the world, living yeah, on your yeah. comedy. How yeah, yeah, yeah. can you introduce yourself to our audience, A.K.? Um, first of all, um, you got you got all you got uh, uh, the facts right. Except uh, Melbourne Festival was supposed to be in March, so I really missed it. I can't do it again yeah. until next year. And uh, I don't even know any other way I can explain to myself except just saying that I'm I'm just A.K. dancers. I'm just as simple as that. Um, I just love doing comedy. Uh, whatever, whatever there is a stage and the microphone is where I want to be, and I just want to go up and just set my mind out and have fun, hang out with, with the comedians, uh, exchange ideas, learn from one another, teach if I if I have the opportunity to, and create an impact in someone's life. That's just who I am. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Let's yeah. start from the beginning. You were born in yeah. the Kakuma refugee camp. Yep, yep. The biggest refugee camp in Kenya, actually in the world. 
Yeah. Now. Is it still is it still the biggest in the world? I don't know, but uh, from the last time I had, yeah. It used to it used to be it used to be, but these days Syrians the Syrians. Uh, oh yeah. Are also are also facing bigger issues. I bet I bet there's some other bigger. I, it, it must be the biggest in Africa, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure about the world yet. Oh yeah. I'll check it out. I'll check. Yeah. So. Your journey from the refugee yeah. camp to the international stage now. Yeah. Can you yeah. tell us briefly how was this journey for you? How did it go? Um it was it was quite a tough one though I didn't uh, it's not that it's not that I, I knew it from my childhood that I was going to be a comedian. So it wasn't something that I was looking at. I was just I was just surviving all this time I was surviving. I was born there in 1997. I lived with my mom there for a couple of years and my mom got a chance to move out of the camp when when her siblings moved to move to um, to her Canada to to Canada because there's, there's a refugee resettlement program that takes mm-hmm. refugees out of out of the refugee camp so her, when her siblings moved out her siblings started helping her out and then so we moved to Nairobi mm-hmm. and then stayed in Nairobi for like uh, two years and then our dad, when our dad passed on, we were forced to to, to move to Uganda and join join the rest of the family, my siblings, my step siblings, and and uncles and all that. And that's that, then that's exactly how we started staying in Uganda until 2008 when my mom passed on again. And then now we had nowhere to go. We just had to stay in Uganda because we had never gone to South Sudan. We didn't know much in South Sudan and all that. So we stuck in Uganda, in Uganda, stayed there, did high school in Uganda. Um, I joined, I joined comedy in uh, 2016 through a, through a friend that I met in high school that I started staying with. And then that's it. So every event led to the other, slowly by slowly, meeting one uh, other friends, new friends. And before I knew it, I was discovering myself through other people. Um, I am a I am a creation of other people, if I have to say. Most especially friends. Friends made me who I am. Oh, that's such a story. Uh, yeah, let uh, mom rest, rest in peace. And you've, uh, you've, been, yeah, you've been referring to her. I saw one of your posts when you said something yeah. like, uh, uh, your mom used to apologize for giving you the life in, uh, in the refugee camp. But now, you, <laughs> but now you're thanking yeah. her for that life because uh, people are now paying to hear the stories yeah. of that life. That's such a powerful way of looking at events. It's more proactive. And I, I want you to, to tell us how that life in the camp really built who you are now. I mean, like in every, in every single aspect from day one, it, it, it like... It made me grow up when I was still a child. It motivated me to be someone and kept on pushing me. And at that at that young age when my mom used to all say it, uh, apologize and say all these things, I, I barely I barely looked at it at the direction that I look at it right now. Because to me, all I would just say, nah, mom, it's your fault because of the love that I have for my mom. But at the end of the day, I would feel like as a child, I've been born in a, in a very, a very what, a very unfair ground and all that because I would see other kids having better lives I would see things do better and all that but um, 
keep, don't get me wrong. I mm-hmm. never, I never saw this while I was still in the camp. Because when I was still in the camp, the camp is all I knew. I didn't know any other explanation of the world. Take, mm-hmm. take for example, if you're born in a place, let's say, let's say you're born in the forest and you live in the forest, you don't know that there are, there are houses mm-hmm. in the rest of the world because you've never seen them. Mm-hmm. So to me, the explanation of the world was the camp. There was nothing else I knew except that. It's only when I started moving to, so let's say I never knew we were poor. We were poor. I never knew that like things weren't happening happening for us. It's only when we moved to Nairobi that I started realizing there's a problem from where I was born. There's something that was wrong as a child, and and slowly my mom started always trying to show us how how much she loved us and how much she really wished she gave us a better life and all that. But at this point, I'm just like, yo, thanks, man. Like, if it wasn't for the, all the life that, all the things that I've gone to, I wouldn't be having people booking me to fly to South Africa to go and talk for lots of money. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have to fly to Australia to do shows and, and all this. Like, I've got something to offer at the end of the day. So I'm grateful. Not, I'm not, not regretting whatever happens happened in life. Inspiring. Mm. I I did research and I saw there are a number of celebrities from South Sudan mm. who made it from mm. the refugee camp. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm mentioning uh, Rosa Nathike or Lopez mm-hmm. Lomong, the runner, and mm-hmm. uh, you have many mm. others. So as you said it, uh, that experience really built the AK that we know mm. today. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there's so many of us. There's so many of us. We even click when you see. <laughs> Kakuma kids, we click. When you see a Kakuma kid, there's there's only that bond <laughs> yeah. between us. You just even if, even if I don't know you personally, as long as you're a Kakuma kid, I'm like, yo man. I know you. Your family, <laughs> your family. We just say respect. Like there's so many of us. There's the models. There's a, there's a Wen Chol. There's a, uh, the rappers, diaspora. Uh, mentioned but a few men. So many of us. So many of us. Actually, we even have we even have like kind of of like deep, like the the kids that were were born in other refugee camps like the Pidibidi camps in in, in Uganda mm-hmm. and also other camps in Ethiopia and all that. But the Kakuma ones are the sharpest, like. <laughs> so <laughs> let Kakuma has yeah. got many of us, like many of us. So let's give it up to the people of Kakuma Camp. You guys are the oh, greatest. Man. Shout out, shout out, my Kakuma people, man. Yeah. So you call yourself the work, the, the work refugee. Yes, 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 yes. What does that mean? Um, basically, it, it, it's a, it, it's, a, it's a, it's an explanation of the events that happened in my life. Like I have, I have been, I've been growing up in an ascending order. Because I've seen other people, um, mm-hmm. I went back to the camp in like 2016. I saw other people still in the camp. I saw other people whose minds have been like, like squeezed by the camp mentality and all that. And those are people that never got the opportunity to get like the refugee resettlement and all that. But for me, I feel like I used what I had. I woke up. I used what I what I have and expose myself, like, you get what I'm saying? I'm mm-hmm. looking at events in a very, very different angle, mm-hmm. which makes me walk. Mm-hmm. Like, all those negative things that I saw, all those negative things that happened, I turned them into something positive. It's like it's like making biogas. 
that's exactly what it feels like for me. <laughs> What's an analogy, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're the seventh of a family of eight. Yep. Man, you made it. You are this close. <laughs> mm. how, how is it to be among the last born of a, of a big family? And how did that build you to be who you are today? Um, is it is it even is it a family of eight? It should be ten. You know, I've got, I've got step siblings. Yeah, I've got step yeah, I've got step siblings. Then it's supposed to be ten. I don't know. Does my website say eight? Uh, yeah, this is my research. You don't need to know where I got it from. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's ten. It's ten. Huh? It's ten. Oh yeah. yeah, it's ten. It's ten, and then and then and then they, they then there are like three more. Because <laughs> Culturally, because culturally we count them as our siblings, which takes me to like 13, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, biologically it's supposed to be 10. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I mean, th- those are just things that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, it's, it's, uh, it's not that I don't know, I don't know what to think about it because we weren't raised in the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, we all, only the three of us were raised in, in, uh, in, in Africa. Oh, right. That's that's me and that's me and my two siblings, which 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 made me the last born of all of them because I'm the youngest of all of them. Mm-hmm. And and weird enough, I never always felt young because I was I was always like the smartest, the sharpest. Like I was always the 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 dude that figures things out. Mm-hmm. So I I ended up looking like one of the older ones. Like I I was I was solution finder. <laughs> Yeah, so I have never really experienced. I've never really had the feeling of being the youngest. No, not oh, maybe maybe when I was like way younger, but at least by the time I was by the time I was eleven, mm-hmm. I was I was really taking up like grown up people's decisions. Whoa! So yeah. we go now through your hustle. You know, in hustle behind the glory, we just want mm-hmm. to learn from the sacrifice the hard work that happens behind mm-hmm. the story of success so when someone sees yeah. you on the stage and sees how you're yeah. cracking people's ribs people don't yeah. realize things that you do in the background and those moments that really got you challenged that we want yeah. to learn yeah. about it because this is what gets people to be inspired and know they're on the right course so uh, that it's not an easy uh, approach we start yeah. Yeah. You, you've been working at the Zambia furniture, I will call it store. I know Zambia, I live yeah. near Zambia. Yeah. And how yeah. was that life for you? First of all, as a South Sudanese, as a refugee, yeah. and then uh, as young as you were. Um, in the beginning, it was, it was hard for me. I was, getting, I was getting all these judgments from people around who were working there. Most of them saying, oh, the South Sudanese, they have money. Why, why is he and all that? <laughs> it was terrible. It was hard for me. But as soon as I accepted what I was and who I was, 
it became easier for me mm-hmm. because at this at this point I didn't care I didn't care what anyone thought I was just I was just being me and I was just trying to survive I was just trying to hustle and survive and the harder I worked the easier it was for people to to like me so for all the people that thought like oh why is he here he should be in a better place and all that I'm selling their stuff I'm making their money so in the next in the next few weeks they didn't care where I was there they just wanted to let me know that oh I've got new stuff I need you to sell for me and that was enough for me so I just kept on hitting it slowly making money and then for me I it's very easy for me to climb my way like through a ladder in in a society I can easily get into a society that that uh, has got some big lads in it and then in the next maybe few months I am one of those big lads so that's how easy that's how I, that's my defense mechanism whenever i show up i need to make sure i get myself up and gain the respect so in it literally a few months i was up there the youngest dude that was selling stuff um the uh, one of the most respected ones so it became easier for me to survive around the community no judgments no nothing no anything like that and i kept on working putting my bills together home hustling supporting my 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 the side hustles I was venturing in as a, as a teenager things that I wanted to do as a teenager that that I could only support on my own mm-hmm. and and uh, slowly also going back to school I was still doing school but the minute I noticed that uh, my attention was getting divided I was I was getting carried away by the little money I was making and I wasn't paying much attention in school and all that so I decided to quit no mm-hmm. yeah I decided to quit and then and then just fully concentrate on school because even even uh, so society wise I was I was being uh, surrounding myself with the, with the kind of people that I didn't expect myself to be with in the next let's say 10 years so I was afraid of growing up with a way with different ways due to the community of living in and I was afraid of, of forgetting about school and all that um, I was I was 15 16 by then mm-hmm. so it, it it just took me it just took me like a week to decide this is like no I'm not going back anymore mm-hmm. and then I just stopped going yeah it was terrible it was hard for me because I would be broke at home and sometimes I would, I would be forced to go because sometimes I would be bored I would go and sit and watch other guys do it but I never when I decided not to do it again I never did it again I never saw the thing again I just went and watched other people do whatever they're doing mm-hmm. go back home hang out with them and then I found new friends to hang out with mm-hmm. wow yeah. that uh that's such a a story now you got introduced mm-hmm. to comedy in 2016 and you say it's a friend of yours yeah. who got you to to do comedy How yeah. did you feel that this was yours? Uh, who inspired you to really move to the comedy stage? Yeah, um, one of one of my closest friends, um, his name is Elbio Habat. He, he, he moved to the to the United States now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the the irony is the day that he, he was traveling to the United States is the day I was traveling for showing Botswana. Mm-hmm. So even even like. We were so excited to get out of the country. But I left first and he left after me. So we were really excited to get out of the country the same day. 
so um, it was back 2016. I was I was uh, doing some stuff in town. I can't remember what exactly I was doing, and then I was. Um, you know how the, the Kampala town is crazy. Yeah, yeah. You hear things, you see things. And so I spent the whole day, hectic day, I go back home. I used to stay in the same apartment with him and I found him cooking. So I joined him in the kitchen and then I started telling him about my day, how crazy my day was, what was happening. And I am a very, very energetic storyteller, engaging and all that. But I didn't know I had these skills before I started doing comedy. So he was excited, he was happy, he was laughing, and then he told me, I think you should join comedy, man. This is something that can work out for you. So the main thing is told the idea into my head. Um, that was just it. This, the idea just kept on ringing in my head, ringing, ringing. But I also, I also believe that something, something that inspired me is that a few months earlier, I had watched Trevor Noah's comedy special that is called Lost uh, in Translation. But also, mm-hmm. like, kept on, like, giving me an idea of what stand-up comedy was. And so the minute my friend told me that, that was it for me. I just I dressed up, went, looked for comedy clubs. Uh, I found this comedy club called Comedy Files, the, the big theater by then, like Theater La Bonita. I checked, I talked to the, to the guy called Manija Mose. He connected me to a guy called Timothy Nyanzi, which up to today, I, I thank for everything I am. Because this dude built me from zero to the person I am right now. If it wasn't for this dude, I wouldn't be the comedian I am right now. Whoa. So yeah, that, that, that's exactly how I ended up in the game. When I look mm-hmm. at you, first of all, in all pictures that you have, you'll always have that mm-hmm. smile on, the smile you keep uh, bragging about. And you'll always have mm-hmm. that smile on and someone can just feel that energy in you. Do you believe that this is something mm-hmm. that you had before and uh, you just needed someone to push you like your friend? Dude, to, to be honest, I have, I have always been an exciting child. I've always been an engaging child, like from day, from day one. Like, I, my energy has always pulled me people close. That's why I told you that within even my siblings, I always stood out because when we were hustling, staying alone as young kids, because after our mom passed on, we had to stay alone with help of an uncle that was abroad. There were times when we would have nothing to eat and all that, but I was this child that was liked in the neighborhood. I was the one that would go to shops and borrow money, borrow food, because I could speak Luganda. I'm good at languages. At this point, I am at four languages, trying to get get back to my fifth language. And... Um, I'm engaging, I'm, my, my energy is exciting, always happy, speaking. So I always got things when we are doing bad at home, I always get food from neighbors, get stuff from neighbors. Neighbors loved me, even at, even at my workplace, I was engaging. I, I have pictures of, of life. I, I look at the pictures right now and I'm like, <laughs> dude, what, what was happening here? Like I would sit down and like, Ten other grown-up guys are just around me, <laughs> listening to me. And I was going through Facebook sometimes and I saw one, one of those pictures. And I'm like, why were these guys trusting me? Because <laughs> I was literally lying to them. <laughs> in some way, not a lot of them are, are that educated or anything like that. But they believed in me so much. Like, whenever I was saying something, they would sit and listen. And that's, that's exactly how, how I managed to... I managed to climb my way up the ladder 
and 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 be the youngest person that is selling the youngest broker that is making lots of money around around the, the, the way because I had I had the ability to make to make people listen to me and be happy with what I say. And that's exactly how a customer will show up with 10 grown-up dudes with family, but I would speak to the customer and the, the grown-up dudes would keep quiet because at the end of the day, if I make the money, I'll give them their share and keep my share and we will have fun, we'll be happy. And that's that's exactly who the person that I, I carry on to be. Even in the comedy world, I, I meet people from different countries, different places. I'm just engaging and excited to see them having fun. I'm just passing positive energy. And I believe this is this is the same thing that it's helping my comedy. If I was if I was dull as a human being, I wouldn't be as good and uh, let's say as uh, successful in quotes as I am I am right now or as successful that I might be in the in the nearby future. Yeah. It's just an energy. Let's just say I've got a likable personality. Personality that would say you something that you don't need. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's that's so exactly you know, I'll, I'll sell you things you don't need. Like I am good at selling things. You don't need. That's so weird. Yeah. So <laughs> the challenges. What are the challenges you you faced on the comedy stage? How was your first show? And uh what is the worst show you've been into? To be to be like Surprisingly, though, surprisingly, my first my first show wasn't wasn't as bad as other people might think. Because mm-hmm. everyone will think that uh, the first shows are always bad and people mm-hmm. die on stage. My first my first show was good because I took three months of preparation to get into my first show. My mentor my mentor Timothy Nyanzi, because uh, Timothy Nyanzi has a rehearsal program that that happens every Tuesday. He has mm-hmm. been doing this uh, for the past uh, six years. Every single Tuesday, never misses out. It's only this year that he has he had to cancel because of uh, COVID nineteen. Wow! So I would go there every Tuesday, stand in front of him with other young comedians that were growing, who were starting out at the same time as myself, and tell out my jokes to him. And then he helps patch it. <coughs> Excuse me. He helps patch them up. Tell me, oh, you need to put in this word. Oh, you can't say this. This is this is a this is a bad word. You can't use that. You can't refer to people like that. And that's exactly the comedian I grew up to be. He kept on guiding me. And by the time by the time I was three months into the game, I had five minutes ready. Funny five minutes. All I needed was the confidence to go execute it. But I was I was confident because I wanted to do this thing. So I did my first show at Prime Time at the Paul McCarrie University. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. I killed it was fun. <laughs> but the next the next shows, oh man, they were terrible because now in the next shows I do not have any other thing any other new thing to mm-hmm. offer. Mm-hmm. I had to start off again and build other five minutes again. Mm-hmm. But one of my toughest shows, oh it's a show I actually tell people in jokes right now, the time I performed for two people. <laughs> oh, that one was a tough show. Yeah, like, out, out, out of those, out of those two people, one of them was a waitress. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I you know, know. You, know yeah. you know, you know, you know, this waitress that 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 is serving drinks, mm-hmm. but while serving drinks, she she will stand and look at you and try to listen to what you're doing, mm-hmm. and then after walk away, 
So one minute you have two people in the audience, the next minute you have one person in the audience. Yeah. And you still need to give your, uh, I mean, to, to perform. I've been doing stand-up comedy for the past three years and one of my worst shows, I performed for two people. Two people like this. And one of them was a waitress. And the other one knew my father. Do you know how hard it is to perform for someone who knows your father? Every time you do a job that's not funny, funny it's like, I know his father, he should be in school, why is he here? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it was a terrible one. Yeah. But that has, that has to continue, man, that has to continue. The, 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 I think the worst part for me was financially by then, because at this point I had, I had stopped doing... Uh, making money through the bro broker and furniture and all that. Mm -hmm. I was now concentrating on two two things, uh, school and, and, and comedy. So I, I always find myself broke to go for rehearsals and mm -hmm. I would walk sometimes, go, go walk from, uh, I used to stay in Kavalagala. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so what would happen is, from Kavalagala to Zambia is uh, is 500 shillings, right? Yeah. So if I have one thousand, one thousand Ugandan shillings, I would get a taxi from Kavaladara mm -hmm. to Zambia. Mm -hmm. Drop, drop me at, drop me at exactly, uh, exactly in Zambia. Mm -hmm. Then I walk through the railways. You know nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I walk through the railways to La Bonita. Mm -hmm. Get done with rehearsal. Now, now when I'm done with rehearsal, mm -hmm. it's it's physically impossible for me to walk back mm -hmm. through Nasaro. Mm -hmm. Because it's night, it's night time, and I can get robbed. Yeah. So what I do now, I walk, I walk back, but I use another route. I use the main, <laughs> the main, uh, the main, uh, the main city road. Mm -hmm. I walk back to Zambia, mm -hmm. and I get another taxi for for five hundred. <laughs> yeah. And you've made and it. If, yeah, and my my rehearsals are done. If things are bad, I can just walk past to Kavalagala. I use I use the back route where no one is seeing me. You know the back route that passes behind American Embassy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. Yeah, nobody is seeing me. Sometimes <laughs> they run. Sometimes they run. So I'm jogging my way back. Yeah. I would like I would say, mm -hmm. this was all passion. Mm. My transport was passion. Mm -hmm. I didn't need money. Yeah. I didn't need money. Yeah. Good. So your show, you you host a show called State of the Nation, and uh, it's more yep. it's more focused on uh, events that are happening in uh, South Sudan and uh, things like that. Now, to the general public uh, out here, mm. Mm. you went to South Sudan. I think uh, you got time to go back there. How are your, what is your perspective of, of the youngest nation as you talk about it? And uh, how would you want people to know about South Sudan rather than the, the older info that are on the news that are more negative and all? I mean, I think the, 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 the worst thing about the world is that negative news travels faster than, faster than positive news. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's, that's exactly the foundation that the world was built on. Mm -hmm. Much as much much as there's a lot going on in South Sudan, mm -hmm. um, there's also a lot of positive things that are going on. But people pretend pre people pretend like the, the positive things are none of their business. Mm -hmm. Of course of, of course perhaps it's none of their business because if you're 
if you're an enemy of progress, there's no reason why you would be celebrating progress. Yeah. So, so all all these things that are happening, I always want to also show people that that there there are things that are happening. There are people are happy. We are, we're doing some good things for ourselves. We're also climbing our way up the ladder. We are not waiting for our governments to 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 build roads, to 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 to, to start paying citizens mm-hmm. for us to to start to start being happy. No, we we're using exactly the the mistakes that they're doing to be as a reason for us to be happy. So we mm-hmm. culturally we are we we're doing our part. We are doing we're doing we the rappers we've got we got we got musicians, we've got uh, poets doing their best with the limited resources that we have. But it's it's hard for us to cross the borders and be hard when there's a when there's a uh, a negative state mm-hmm. that is already up. We, we're trying to beat. We're trying to beat a negative state. Let's let's take for example our brothers from our brothers and sisters from Rwanda, right? Yeah. I was in Rwanda in 2000. I was in Rwanda in 2010. Mm-hmm. And no, not 2010. Oh, that is very far. <laughs> 2017. Yeah. I don't even know where I got 2010 from. Yeah. 2017. <clears throat> and I was speaking to one of the Rwandese comedians, and he told me that it's it's hard how everything that people know about Rwanda mm-hmm. is the negative part. I yeah. mean, Rwanda is right now rebuilding very well. I give it up for Rwanda, rebuilding mm-hmm. very well. Yeah. But he would tell me that I would go to places and then I tell them, hi, I'm from Rwanda. And they're like, oh, genocide. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, it's hard to beat something like that, something as big as that, mm-hmm. as an artist, mm-hmm. like the musician and all that. Mm-hmm. It's entirely hard for you to beat that mm-hmm. because the negative state has been glorified more mm-hmm. and people are ignoring the positive state. So it's the same thing with South Sudan. Mm-hmm. The negative state is what people are looking at the most, which mm-hmm. makes it hard for any artist or anyone that is bringing positive energy mm-hmm. to be recognized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the beauty is, the beauty is um, a lot of us, speaking for myself, mm-hmm. are not here for the recognition. <laughs> we're here because we're here it makes us happy and we're here because we pass a message, influence the little people that we do, so we keep on moving on. We don't get bothered if we, if we recognize or not. Wow. You, talk, yeah. you, you talked of uh, how you got uh, inspired by uh, a show of Trevor Noah that you, you, you listened to. Who are the names in mm. the stand-up comedy uh, world, industry, that you really look mm. up to, who, who you really want to be like? Um, first and foremost, my list... The, the dude that tops my list is called Cat Cat Williams. <laughs> yeah, I know Cat Williams. Yeah. Cat Williams is on top of my ladder. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got I've got Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. I've got Chris Rock. I've got I've got uh, Trevor Noah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Hart. Yeah. Michael Che. Ah, Michael uh, Che is good, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Michael Jr. also just joined the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robbie Collins. Yeah. Uh, I've got Daniel O'Mara. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's that that's that's it for me. I mean, with all those people, there's every single there's every single thing that I like from them. Like, I pick one or two things from. Each, each one of them. Wow. Um, uh, like, 
ranging from the writing skills, ranging from the energy to the to the to the dedication, to the hard work, to the to the stories, the inspirations, and all that. So that's why I pick I pick every single thing from all those people and, and try to relate them to to whatever I'm going through as a comedian. Yeah, you mentioned them, yeah. and uh, talking of Dave Chappelle, you the show that you you referred me to yesterday, the 846, has been uh, yeah. one of uh, the most in intelligent and smart show that I ever listened to. And this brings me to a question that I have. There's the painting, especially in Uganda, uh, when I've been around, it, the painting that to do comedy, you, you need to take approach to just uh, make fun of yourself in a funny way, funny physical posture or imitating things. And that's the big picture that people have for comedy rather than the mm. approach of the stand-up comedy where it's more intelligently built and uh, relating to real events and all. So what mm. are your thoughts about that? How have you been, uh, how, how a comedian like you look at that approach mm. in the industry where you need to compete with people who really use different uh, drama and all to call it comedy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, if you, if you, If you know what you want to be, who you want to be, mm. it's not even competition. Because mm. there's, there, there's no way, there's no way a goalkeeper competes with a striker. Mm -hmm. these, are, these are two different people. If you're in the same team, there's no way you guys can compete. A goalkeeper can't compete with a midfielder. Mm -hmm. These are two different careers. Mm -hmm. and, and that has been me from, like, I was groomed by the Ugandan uh, comedy industry. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm lucky I was mentored, I was mentored by the best mm -hmm. and it was very easy for me to find my way because when, when I joined comedy, uh, this is where I wanted, I wanted to go and this is where I'm still going. I remember, I remember very well sitting down with my mentor Tim Olinyazi and telling him that I want to be an international comedian, I want to I wanna wanna make people listen to me from across borders and all that. That must have been 2000. 2017, and I remember telling him that the, my favorite comedy club, one I want to play in, is called Pop Art Theater. There was a show that uh, that used to happen at Pop Art Theater. It was it was led by the Goliath Brothers, mm -hmm. and he told me that if you want to perform there, you have to work towards getting there from now. Mm -hmm. And then I made like I told him how do I have to work. He said you have to write jokes that can be performed at the pop art theater mm -hmm. in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Now I'm in Uganda, he said, in South Africa. So I, so I told him, okay, from today onwards, if I tell a joke that cannot be told across borders, mm -hmm. tell me tell me to scrap it off. And then he said, fine. And that's how that's how we started writing. So <laughs> as that, at a young, at, at one year in comedy, mm -hmm. I was busy writing, I was busy writing jokes telling myself, can I perform this in Kenya? Can mm -hmm. I perform this in Rwanda? Can I do it in South Africa? If the answer is yes, I keep picking. If the answer is no, I let it go. So I was groomed by I was groomed the right way by the best person because I knew where I wanted to head. I knew that I didn't want to take off my clothes on stage. Mm -hmm. I knew that I didn't wanna I, I didn't wanna um, make fun of myself or dance and all that. Mm -hmm. I knew all those things mm -hmm. and I was in the right place. And those 
those things were being done by people around me mm-hmm. and unfortunately there are things that people complain about but they actually love the same people that complain about this thing mm-hmm. are the people that 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 give round of applause when comedian takes off their shirt and all that mm-hmm. and and they were glorifying this thing but to me i was just looking at a different place i was looking somewhere different and i wasn't disturbed yeah. by them because i'm just like it's none of my business if that's what you want to do that's what makes you happy do it mm-hmm. i'm not going to do it that's not what i want to do that's not the comedian i want to be wow so f- yeah. from way before you knew the international stage was yours and uh, you just need to rehearse for it Mm-hmm. I was working for it from way back I was working for the international stage I mean I mean like at the moment I I get people tell me like your writing is so relatable so international how do you think like that how do you get to write things that are across the borders and all that mm-hmm. and I think the only reason why I do this is because I started doing it way earlier started thinking of things that would go across the borders Wow. So yeah. we're going to issues that are current. We're starting mm. with the COVID-19 impact to the industry of comedy. How has that yeah. been? Of course, there's the first thing you you canceled your show to Melbourne and uh, other things. Mm. How did it affect you and uh, how do you feel you you need to take uh, action to adapt? <laughs> I mean like um in the beginning it really it really affected me like so hard i was super excited about my tour because i was i was like i was hitting a couple of countries man like things were really doing good for me because i had started with south with cape town in the beginning and then um uh then i get, i went back to uganda i was supposed to be in melbourne on the 18th so i decided to do a road trip to first go to kenya and do a gig in Kenya and then fly to Singapore, Malaysia, then Melbourne and then mm-hmm. go to South Africa for another show and then uh, Zimbabwe and then finally South Sudan for final show. Mm-hmm. By June, I was supposed to be doing a show in South Sudan. Mm-hmm. I was super excited about it. Also, also the fact that as a, as a young child, my my mom and my other siblings, we tried so much to go to Australia through the refugee yeah. settlement program. Yeah, but we, we failed. And then <clears throat> the fact that I made it as a comedian was like an was like an achievement for us mm-hmm. as a family. It was an achievement. I remember my brother being super excited. He wasn't even the one going. He was very <laughs> happy that I was going. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw the happiness in him. And I'm like, this is exactly how my mom would be happy yeah. for me to make it there. As a comedian, just imagine you try to take your child as a refugee and then it fails. And then now your child is going to perform and leave. Like, it's just going on business purposes. Yeah. So I was happy. <laughs> I was happy. But I, again, when, when when the COVID-19 thing happened, <clears throat> it, I was down for a couple of days. Luckily enough, I had friends that were uh, also affected by the same thing that were encouraging me. I, had, I have a friend called Aliyah. Uh, a friend called Emo, who are all uh, based in Australia and Canada, respectively. And they kept on, like, encouraging me and telling me, oh, it's going to be cool, just uh, hang in there. And also myself, uh, I just had to 
a few days to get terms to the fact that it is what it is. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how do you think it's going to affect the the entire industry, and uh, what do you think should be done about it? It it's definitely going to affect us so much as an entertainment industry mm-hmm. because um, we we also judging from how the entertainment industry is treated in Africa, it's one of the least respectable or the least uh, uh, regarded industry. Although mm-hmm. it's one of the one of the the, the biggest tourism sec, uh, uh, section mm-hmm. and also also, also like. Uh, uh, even advertisement-wise, even like uh, international relations, mm-hmm. the entertainment industry plays plays a big role. Mm-hmm. It is still looked at as a, as a, as a sector of the of like the, like tags and all that mm-hmm. in Africa. So it it is it's gonna be the last sector to open up. Mm-hmm. I mean, in in international countries right now, in other countries right now, um, they're, they're they're trying to bring up. Ideas of trying of of, uh, of bringing back the entertainment industry mm-hmm. within the pandemic, trying to see how they can get it happen because they know the entertainers have to pay bills and all that. Mm-hmm. But from our regions, they're not even thinking about bringing it back yet, mm-hmm. and they know we have bills to pay, but they don't really care. Mm-hmm. If they if they don't if they don't even care about normal citizens eating and all that. I, I doubt they would care about people making people laugh or singing for people. Mm-hmm. So I believe we're gonna be the we're gonna be the last people to open up, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be quite hard for us. But at the end of the day, man, that's just the government. You know, you know how the government works around the world. When they when they find gold in your house, it's theirs. <laughs> when they find weed, when they find weed in your house, it's yours. It's yours. <laughs> That's funny, right? yeah. So that's that's the same thing when you're when you when you're when you're funny or when you're good at this and you've not made it yet, nobody cares nobody about you. Cares. When you make it and the whole world is celebrating you, now you belong to their country. Now you're theirs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, going about it, another mm-hmm. situation that really uh, making noise around is uh, the Black Lives Matter. Uh, situation yeah, yeah. and uh, you've been very yeah. I mean voicing your thoughts about it online and uh, all that what do you think uh, yeah. uh, are your opinion about it and uh, if you bring it close home when we're talking about other issues uh, you know the tribe relation issue and everything what, what are your thoughts about this entire uh, situation I mean uh, first of all what, what really troubles me is the fact that I have to tell another human being that my life matters. Mm-hmm. That, that that's that's the thing that really troubles me about the whole situation. Mm-hmm. And also further going into it furthermore, I see I see a lot of a lot of uh, Africans not voicing their ideas because they feel like this is this is none of their business. It's happening in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not it's not gonna get to them. But I think they, what they need to understand is that. This is not a matter of location. This is a matter of a skin color. Mm-hmm. For as long as for as long as you have that melanin in your skin, mm-hmm. you don't matter to a certain race. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and that's exactly what we're going through. Because racism is not happening in America only. Racism is happening in Africa. Mm-hmm. Racism is going on. If you've been to the southern part of Africa, 
Racism is happening in your motherland, you would see. And that I believe that is the most hurtful kind of racism even. Mm-hmm. I've seen South Africans complain mm-hmm. and all that. And and racism is even in our system, our system as Africans. You would see that if if a white person commits a crime, <laughs> you would see that they'll be treated in a different way mm-hmm. compared to the way they'll treat you. Yeah. Let's say in Uganda, this, there was this dude that was arrested for domestic violence. Yeah. And he was put at the front to sit at the front with the driver of the pickup, <laughs> police pickup. Yeah. And do you know do you know where do you know where they put the Uganda? Oh yeah. Under the under, under the chairs and under stuff. Under the benches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Under the chairs and all and all that. I mean like it's it's superiority complex. Like people People have made have, have glorified the white men and and we are treated way different from each other. Mm-hmm. And if you if you are an ignorant person, you would realize that your ignorance is the is is is, is the what is is a, is the number one key mm-hmm. to the fact that it's okay it's, it's, the, it's, it's let, let me call it a padlock. It's mm. the padlock that is keeping you down to the racism. You might feel like you 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 don't care about what's happening. It's none of your business. You don't find the opportunity. You don't try to go through the right avenues to find out what's happening. And you feel like, nah, as long as I'm living my life, I'm doing my stuff. It's like a person that is living through living in a in a government uh, that is oppressing citizens. But because you have a good job, things mm. are going on well for you. You think that. Everything is fine. You don't care. But what you forget is the system. What the system is doing right now will affect you in the next five years. Affect your kids and great grandkids. Yeah. Unless you speak about it, this is gonna be a problem for them. <clears throat> um, let, let me let me give you the the simplest example of how ignorance can keep you down mm. for a very long time. Um, racism was was abolished in in. Uh, around 18, 1872, 1873, mm-hmm. by Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. and other states took effect um, and and uh, like and abolished it and stopped and let go of their slaves. Mm-hmm. But there were states, the southern states, which <laughs> which are mostly known as the the Confederate mm-hmm. states, they did not they did not tell their their what their slaves that racism had been abolished in America. <laughs> yeah. For like two years, these niggas were working for like, yeah, and they don't know because now this is what ignorance can do. You get the point, and this is what the white man has always done for us: kept us ignorant, deny us information, deny us all this information that empowers us. But if we go out there and look for that information, trust me, you will feel stronger than you've ever been. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad some of our people are out there looking for that information. I'm glad people, people are taking down statues of, of people that terrorized Africa. Mm. Wow. So it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good time for, uh, for black people, I should say. All right. So uh, going about it, I want to touch on uh, the book. You told me you're working on a book that will be called uh, mm. The Walk Refugee. What should mm. people expect in the book? What what to expect is is my journey. Mm-hmm. That's is it. My from day one to day, to to whenever I decide to to to, let, to, to release it. Yeah. That's what you expect. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, 
you can't you can't change what happened in the past, but you can write. You can change what's going to happen in the future, like what's going to be told in the future. So mm. at the moment, I'm writing. I'm writing my history. Mm-hmm. As I speak to you right now, as I'm sitting <laughs> on my couch right now, speaking to you, mm-hmm. this is my history that I'm writing. Wow. What what I decide to go and do today mm-hmm. is going to be part of my book. It's going to be my history. So, <clears throat> so basically, it's my journey that's going to come out there. And this book is also helping me live a healthy life, live, do the right thing here and mm-hmm. there. I mean, like, I'm not... I'm not saying I'm a bad person if it's a book guiding me. Yeah. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, the book is helping me know what my priorities are, and my priorities are concentrate on my comedy career, mm-hmm. write, do stuff, be creative, and all that. And that's what I'm doing. That's I'm just working hard towards that. And that's what that's what everyone should expect. Good. So are we yeah. coming to the end of the podcast? It's one of the interesting sections where, as you said, it, uh, ignorance can be an issue if you don't read. And we, uh-huh. we want to ask you, the book recommendation, myself, the listeners are into books. What is the book you uh-huh. can recommend to a friend, a book that really impacted you that you will want someone else to read? Um, my favorite book is, uh, is a it's a weird book to recommend to anyone, <laughs> but uh, but I feel I just I just feel like there's something about that book mm-hmm. that that defines I don't even know how to explain it. So the title of the book is 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 called uh, it's called uh, My Life in Crime. Okay. This this is a book that was written by a Kenyan author who was who was uh, a notorious criminal in the eighties. Robbed banks and did all that, yeah. And then he was finally he was finally arrested, and he wrote a book about his whole life. And it's the best one of the best selling books in Kenya. Wow! An amazing book. You could really see a gangster and the story that he's telling, the hustle and all that, and 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 there's something about that book that really that really made me see. A hustler, mm-hmm. a hustler, a hustler that reached a point, that reached a turning point in his life. Oh. After reading, yeah, after reading that book, I felt like people have done things that they had to do, but they reached a point and and they regret them and they turn. So it's 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 a it's a good example for you mm. not to do such things because you will also reach a point where you have to turn in life. So how about you just turn right now and not get to do that? Oh, so that, that is one of my favorite books. And his, his wife, his wife also wrote a, wrote, wrote a, wrote a book that is called uh, My Life with, with a Criminal. A, yeah. <laughs> Yo, those, are, those are amazing ones, man. I can actually see it. Uh, my Life in Crime by John mm-hmm. Kiriamiti. Exactly. It was written in 1984, actually released in 1984. This is such a whole book, man. But it Right, right. So so he was he was a criminal earlier before <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it recommend it has a good reviews on a good read. It's around Dude. at 4.3. Dude. Dude, trust me, that book <laughs> is something else. And then also 
Born, born a crime, born a crime by by uh, by Trevor Noah. Yeah, born a crime. I I read it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, the thing about uh, born in crime is how the guy turns all the pain and the hard time that he had into a mm. uh, subject to laugh about it and how he talks about the mother. Man, Trevor Noah is an artist. It reminds me mm. of uh, one quote by uh, Charlie Chaplin, where he tells you that if mm. you really want to laugh, uh, you should use mm. your pain and play around with it. It's one of my favorite yeah. quotes. Uh, yeah, a crime is yeah, uh, yeah. great. Yeah, I mean, I mean, humor comes from the darkest points of life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, it makes sense. You were talking of another uh, book, man. Yeah, another book. I am. I am also like. Uh, you know that I'm an activist, right? Uh-huh. And, uh, and uh, I, I, I'm really inspired by most of our revolutionaries and my favorite revolutionaries uh, or African, pan-African is Thomas Sankara. Wow. So yeah. I'm, I'm currently reading his book that is called uh, Thomas Sankara Speaks. It's a collection of his speeches mm-hmm. from, uh, from uh, the revolution back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the August the August Revolution or all that that happened, I'm just reading all that and I just love it. There's something about there's something so African about him Oof. that I love. Yeah, Thomas Sankara. There's a lot that has yeah. been written about him, man, in the revolution side. Yeah. So love it. Good. Yeah, yeah. So what should people expect from Eke Dance in the coming days? Yo. Yes, I'm just gonna double the work. We've wasted a lot of time at the moment. <laughs> I'm just gonna double the work. I, uh, I've got a lot of stuff that I've written down. Mm-hmm. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna continue practicing it in the comedy clubs here, mm-hmm. um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll release a show. Mm-hmm. I'll release a show very soon. I'll see, I'll see who I can, who I can partner with to, to like stream it. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna release a one-hour special. Wow. That's great, yeah. yeah. That's work that so, you yeah. need to do there, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's just going to be continuous work. Just yeah. work after work. It's exactly, it's going to be up. The Eke Dance special. We're waiting for mm-hmm. it. Otherwise, man, mm-hmm. we're coming to the section that I call the Mabanga section. You know, if you've uh, listened to Congolese music, you have people just mm-hmm. throwing in people's name to, to send shout out. And that's what we're doing at this moment. Uh, who oh. do you want to send your shout to? And, uh... Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, big shout out to my homeboy, Timo Tunyazi. I am, I am who I am because of you, and I, I have always told you this, and I'll never get tired of telling you this. I've got mad respect for you. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here today. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you so much for helping me out. I hope one day I pay you back. Big shout out to my big brother. For I know I know you won't listen to this, this podcast. This, this, this dude has got a very different life. He doesn't care about social media. He doesn't care about anything. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's barely anywhere online. But I hope when, one day when he changes his mind, he will be so I'm just shouting out to him. I respect you so much. I know we've always clashed many mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. But you've raised me. I, I, I trust you. I believe in you. And... <clears throat> 
he looked out he looked out for me after our parents passed on and it wasn't for you i wouldn't be the boy that i am right now you might not know but you're one of the people i try to compete with <laughs> and and i respect you for that one respect you for that uh, shout out to all to my other brother Manyang Jambo, the one the one that doesn't listen to anything is Manyang Jambo. Mm-hmm. And shout out Manyang Jambo. Um, I got my love for you guys. Shout out to Don Andre, one of the closest homies. Shout out to Emo. Shout out to Leah. Shout out to uh, Dan. All my people, man. Big shout out to you guys. I got my love for you guys. And let's grow together. Let's see where we get. We're going to be proud of each other Sunday. Shout out to Hilario Kero, who let jokes out, Kero Kero. I got so many friends. My friend, you can make a good Congolese. You get at this thing, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was our boy, Daniel Jumbo, known as AK Dance. How can people yeah. reach out to you if they want to reach to you? I mean, uh, see your work or uh, get in contact? Oh, you know? yeah, oh, yeah, sure. Um, you can just follow my social media. Uh, my Twitter handle is akdance211, uh, IG, akdance, um, Facebook, akdance. My website is uh, akdancecomedy.com. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, um, if you go through my website, you can see the email for my website. Send yeah. me any me- messages, anything you want to find out and all that. And yeah, that's how you can just get to me. So, okay, thanks for yeah. being on the show. Thanks for the time. We really enjoyed yeah. having you around. We give shout out to South Sudan, the youngest country in the in the world. We love you people. Yeah. And uh, thanks for this, uh, man. Yeah, shout out to, to, to everything that Kakuma ever created. <laughs> yeah, the Kakuma kids, man. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. I was so honored right. to have you around, man. The pleasure is all mine, bro. Yeah. Pleasure. Thanks for the book, man. Thanks for the book. You're welcome, dude. Thanks to the listeners. Thanks for being around. That was your boy, Ralph Somebody Morega. Until then, stay blessed. Love you. You loved this episode of the Hustle Behind Glory podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play and don't forget to join us next week for another episode. You can also like our page on Instagram, follow us on Twitter at the Morega. Thank you.